Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, March 21st, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining you on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Vangelista. Hello. So the, the moment we have all been waiting for is here, guys. The, the Snyder Cut has been... Uh, released we have all seen it and if you're listening to this podcast you have seen it too because there's no reason for you to be listening to this podcast if you haven't seen it Um, because it's gonna be full-on spoilers so we're really not gonna like you know dance around anything so if you have not seen the movie you should probably turn off this podcast now and go go you know spend the next four hours of your life watching it and then come back here so we can hear us uh talk about it so, uh, but before that, I, I guess let's do uh, some brief reactions. Uh, I guess we've already heard from you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and both surprisingly, both of you guys seemed very positive on this. I wouldn't say like very positive. I'm more positive than I expected to be. I don't. I, I think this is a, a film that's worth seeing, which is a lot more than I expected to say when I went into it. Yeah, I think, the, you know, Chris and I talked about like the big word being interesting. And that was like more than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, it's, so, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating experiment. That's how I, I see the film. What did you think about it, Peter? You know, I thought, you know, with all these months leading up to this. I was the one person being like, you know, Snyder's director's cuts, the extended cuts on the DVDs and Blu-rays are generally better than the theatrical releases. And I was, you know, it seemed like you guys had been beaten down because I know you guys are in the news grind and like, you know, the comments from some of these Snyder fans, uh, you know, some of them are very positive, awesome people and others of them are very toxic. So I, I, I assumed that you guys had been beaten down and kind of like, you know, kind of over it. It didn't even seem like you guys were excited to see this. So I was expecting, I was, ex- and I generally, I think, give more room for populist uh, movie entertainment than I, I think you guys do. So I was expecting to be the cheerleader when it came to this day where I was going to be the one that liked it the most. And having... 
had you know small hearing your brief reactions i think i like this the least out of us which is kind of shocking hmm. wow well, yeah the, the how the tables have turned <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I i will agree with you chris i do think that this is a is interesting and is worth watching once <laughs> although like you know i've talked to people that have already watched it five six times at this oh point, my god are you serious All right, yeah that's that's a bit much i take it back everyone is nuts <laughs> uh i do think that this is probably a better movie but who wants to sit down for a four-hour movie i don't know like i don't i i think i maybe in enjoyed the other one more i think I, you ways. Know, I i said this on another episode and ben kind of disagreed with me but i kind of think there is a better version of this that's like maybe like three hours i think the problem with this is this is really like an assembly cut in that it has literally everything in it like there's yeah. stuff in here like there's like a like it feels like a five minute sequence where Alfred and Wonder Woman are making tea and like that's that sort of stuff does not need to be in the movie I've, you know it's it's amusing to have Alfred you know be like oh oh Miss Prince you're making tea wrong but I don't I don't need that in the movie like stuff like that could easily have been cut to trim this down to like you know three hours maybe yeah I do like what what he was going for with it I think uh Chris you said it was almost like a Lord of the Rings style epic that Zack yeah. Snyder was trying to do and I, I and he has those like you know epic helicopter crane wide shots of people walking on mountains and all the stuff that you expect in those kind of movies and I I, I do appreciate that I mean even like the the story it's you know yeah. it's it's a group of people who are at odds coming together to stop this this ancient evil and you even have like you know, the mother boxes are the stand in for, you know, the ring. It's really like it's it's following the Lord of the Rings format very closely. I really admire all that a lot. I I just don't. I don't know. It was just so self-serious all the time. And also you, you use the word interesting. And I think to me, I had a hard time becoming invested in the story on a on a, you know, like when you're watching a movie and you start to forget about the special effects and the score and, oh, my God, that was a cool shot. And, like, you become invested in these characters and stuff. I, I don't feel like I ever got to that point with this movie because the whole time I was thinking, like, oh, is is this a reshoot? Is this, um, you know, oh, we're seeing, uh, you know, Aquaman listening to someone talking and we're not seeing the person talking. Like, is that ADR that Zack Snyder went back and added in to, you know, flesh out the story? Like, you know, I, I was thinking about the mechanics of how this thing was created the entire time. And oh no, did that bother you guys? Or so I think part of that is because of just the the unique nature of the presentation or the the sheer existence of this movie, right? Like, of course, you know, as people who care about this stuff, we are going to have those kinds of thoughts going through our head. But I think you're really getting at a larger problem with, uh, I would argue, all of the Zack Snyder DC movies, which is just like his take on these characters is. Um, it's it's very difficult to describe uh but it, it seems 
it's it's not designed for you to be able to fall into the rhythm that way. It's more, you know, he's much more of a visual stylist. People have been saying this about him since 300 came out, but like the guy is like almost more of a painter than a filmmaker in terms of like crafting images. And there's so many moments in this movie where, you know, Aquaman saves a guy in a boat and like, there's just slow-mo shots of Jason Momoa's hair, like flipping and the water going crazy or like Batman, you know, uh, posing on top of a a gargoyle or like some sort of, you know, statue or or something. It's a movie designed to look cool. And now we're getting to the, the, the nitty gritty and the negatives, but Again, I like this, but I honestly don't think Zack Snyder understands any of these characters. I I think he just thinks like, well, how can I make these characters look really fucking cool? And he doesn't actually put much more thought into it beyond that. Yeah, I think that's why it, it, you know, because I had the same problem, Peter. Like, I, I did not find myself engaged with the story. And it's because I didn't really care about the characters. And like, you know, this movie sort of jumps all over the world, but you never really get a sense of the the world or the people in it or even, I mean, this movie spends so much more time than the theatrical cut digging into character backstories and stuff. But it's still, so like, uh, you know, ostensibly, you should feel more about these characters. And I, I would argue that you do, um, especially about like characters like Cyborg. Like you, I, I felt more, um, a, a little bit more attached to this iteration of that character than I did the theatrical one, just because you get so much more of that, that story penciled in and, and sort of shaded in from the sides. But uh, even with all of that, I still was not uh, emotionally attached to anything that any of the characters was ever really doing and i think that's sort of the failure of snyder's vision here is that he's so focused on like chris said just making shit look awesome (laughs) that you sort of i don't know it's like a sacrifice that i think some people who you know grew up um loving these characters and just wanting to see them uh exist in live action form that's part of the reason i think why this this uh Snyder cut movement was like so fervent was because, you know, this was the thing like this, the theatrical justice league sort of blew it a little bit. And these people, you know, this, this, the idea of seeing these characters in the flesh means so much to so many people. Um, But I would argue that, you know, this uh, Snyder's take just sort of does these characters a disservice by like the, the dark and grittiness of it all. And like the, yeah, the lack of emotional engagement. I, I think if if more time was spent on characterization, I think we would be complaining a lot less about all the other stuff um, because at least you could have something to latch on to. But sorry well, for talking so long. <laughs> I, I think that's the problem with this as a whole from the screenplay up is that this was not like Avengers where every character had their own origin movie. You know, you had a Justice League where you're introducing what aquaman cyborg uh and flash right like they didn't have movies before this came out Mm -hmm. right so like you got to cram you know introductions for all of them into this already like he's trying to do this epic lord of the rings style story i don't know i I just feel like that approach the approach of this thing i think was failed from the start 
Yeah, that's a it's a tough strategy, especially when you've seen that it can be done the other way so successfully. Um, <laughs> I think if this was more successful, I think you could make the case that like this is just another way to pull off a similar kind of thing to launch a cinematic universe yeah. to to build one out. But this movie, like I said, it just it, it's real tough to care about these characters the way that they're depicted here. But yeah. Um, Before we get into some characters, I wanted to ask you guys about what your thoughts on some of the way this was presented. So it was presented in four by three, which is, uh, you know, the, the same aspect ratio we used to watch on TVs before we had high definition. Uh, and it's also like it's it's a, it's called like Academy ratio. It's like old timey. Like the lighthouse is present in this ratio. And uh, first Cal has this aspect ratio, too. And also. Now the Snyder Cut has it yeah. for some reason. Now, I, you know, this is also close to the ratio of what, if you shot a film in IMAX, like a like an actual, you know, the film IMAX, not the, the digital IMAX. Like, that's what the, it's close to that ratio. But I don't think he shot most of the film in IMAX. They're definitely not film cameras. So what is the point? Because I felt like some of these scenes, I'm watching these epic scenes, and it almost felt like some of the scenes, like the sides were being cut off, almost like I was watching, you know, how we used to watch movies back in the day. I'm not sure if you guys are old. The, the pan and scan era, yeah. it's called, yeah. Where, where it used to get chopped off on the sides. Like, I don't know, that's what I, I, I felt in some of the battles and some of the stuff. I was like, I was missing stuff. Yeah, I, I honestly do not think this aspect ratio adds anything to the movie. And I, I remain genuinely befuddled as to why he was so insistent on it i and i honestly do not buy the oh this is what it would look like on imax thing because the, you know that screen is so much bigger than what you're getting at home a part of me honestly thinks he did it because he knows people are going to watch this on like phones and ipads and i also feel like he doesn't want to come right out and say that that's that's yeah. honest, that's like my my conspiracy theory take on wow. this that he knows people are going to watch this on phones and they, he doesn't want to be like I made this for phones because that's like against the law. Directors can't say that. And that's that's honestly my theory. Ben, do you have any thoughts on aspect ratio? It just sort of feels like an affectation. Um, I, I Yeah, I didn't really get anything out of it. Um, and who knows? Maybe, you know, it, when he does take this movie around the country and shows it in IMAX, then maybe people who view it in that format will have, uh, you know, a, a more profound experience with it. I will not be one of those people. I'm not going to be watching this movie again. <laughs> Yeah, when, when he takes it around the country to these IMAX theaters, he's going to be presenting it with all the millions of colors capable of the, you know, two 4K projectors, the IMAX. No, oh, wait, no, he's going to be presenting in black and white. I don't <laughs> Again, know. I also, really think this just ties into his obsession with being like, doesn't this look cool? And I, I really, and I know people are going to call me out for this and say I'm not giving Zach's enough credit. Maybe it, that's true, but I really, part of me is like, really thinks he doesn't put much thought into this beyond that like how can i make this look cool i don't know i will say this though a lot of people like to call directors like Zack snyder or michael bay hacks and i, I really don't feel that is the case you can tell that there is a lot of effort going into these films maybe not in the right buckets of ever, <laughs> but i i do think that both those filmmakers are artists in their own rights but uh maybe they're more you know concerning themselves with the visuals than the story mm -hmm. um the other thing i want to talk about in the presentation is that this is presented as a four-hour movie but then there's these chapters 
And I almost, while I was watching this, and <laughs> at one point, I think uh, I was like, oh, okay, this, now it's time for like the final battle or whatever. And I clicked on my my Apple remote to see how far I was in. And it was like halfway through the movie. And I was like, oh, we got, we got two more hours. <laughs> I almost wonder if I would have enjoyed this more. And, and by the way, I want to say that I did enjoy this. Like I'm not, uh, I, it, the fact that I enjoyed this less than both of you guys doesn't mean that I hated this. I, I, I'm recommending this. I'm saying that people should go out and see this and, you know, it's, it's interesting, but um, I do wonder if I would have enjoyed this more. If Originally they were playing around with the idea of releasing this as a mini series in a bunch of different uh, like 30 minute or one hour episodes and I almost wonder if it would have played better for me as a miniseries. I think it would because I didn't. I didn't watch it all in one sitting. I watched it over two days, and I actually liked that there was those chapter breaks there because I was like, "Man, I need to." Because I started watching it late at night, and it was like one a.m. <laughs> and I was like, "I need to fucking go to bed." And I was like, "When can I stop this?" And then it hit a chapter break, and I was like, "Well, there you go. There's a perfect place to stop." So I honestly appreciated the chapter breaks because it does break up the uh the overwhelming experience where it's just like oh my god this is so goddamn long like this i really think those chapter breaks help i did the same thing uh chris i watched it you know the first two hours one night and then the the second two hours the other night and um i uh appreciated the the break for the same reason that you did i do think if they would have released it as like i think they were talking about doing it in four episode chunks or something like four you know one hour chunks or whatever the the idea was originally i think that would have been uh, a mistake because i think um i think that would have been too much like you know theoretically they would release one once a week right so then yeah, by no, the I, end you're watching something a month after you started it and like yeah, this not, thing is I'm already yeah <laughs> It's already confusing enough as it is. Um, so the like some of the plotting and stuff here, it's just still, even with these four hours, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Okay, all right. Um, so the idea of, uh, of I think they made the smart call to um, to condense yeah. it into one four-hour thing. Yeah, uh, you, you talked about the positives here. Giving some of these characters more room did help some of these characters, like Cyborg. Did you want to talk about that? Well, yeah, I just think, you know, Ray Fisher has the, the actor who plays Cyborg has made such a big deal about um, how not even the, the Joss Whedon allegations about uh, the abuse on, you know, during the reshoots and stuff. But even before that, just the um, the way that his character sort of got the shaft in, in the theatrical cut in, in terms of like just being mostly cut out of the movie. And um, in addition to there being just so much of this film, this version of the film that was not shot by Joss Whedon. Like I was kind of gobsmacked at how much footage there was that Snyder himself was able to, to capture. Cause I think he said he was not going to use a single shot that was that he didn't shoot himself or he and his guys didn't shoot himself. Um, the cyborg stuff is where you can really see it, you know, more than any other character. I think he's the one where like, Oh yeah, I guess it makes sense that Ray Fisher, this being like his first big break, like he probably thought his life was going to change in a way that uh, it has not changed because he was going to be, you know, the sort of like linchpin of this entire movie. And like, he has so much more to do in this cut. Um, I, I still don't think that this is like a great performance. Um, it's, yeah, it's sort of, it's okay. Yeah. It's sort of a tough character to play, but you do, I mean, it is like, 
in my mind, unquestionably better and more rich than what we saw in the theatrical cut. I mean, yeah, I, I do like that the character has an arc here. I like that he's initially just like, I'm a monster. And then he's like, realizes, oh, he's he can be a hero. Although there's a lot of like corny bullshit. Like that part where he's like learning his powers and he's like inside his own mind. And it's like yeah. his father, who's been by Joe Morton, is like, you can manipulate the... The stock market and Zack Snyder represents that by having like a CGI bear and a CGI bull fighting because those are like the, you know, the, the, the animals for the market, the bear market and the bull market. And I was just like, wow, that is stupid. <laughs> That's like so fucking stupid. But I really did appreciate that this character has an arc here. I, you know, I liked those flashbacks where it's like shows him, you know, and his, his, his mother. And, um, I do feel like the movie was pushing for this, this, relationship with his father that i really don't think is there yeah like yeah they, they keep making a big deal about like oh how he's estranged from his father because his father brought him back from the dead but we only really get that just because of the way he's just acting where he's just like a little awkward around his dad mm-hmm. but i feel like they're they really should have you know i should, probably shouldn't be saying this because it would make the movie even longer but i, I wish they ex- they explored that just a little bit more no, I agree. And I think that that one moment where Joe Morton's character like sacrifices himself, I was confused for many minutes after yes. that. Like what on earth does he think he's doing here? And the movie sort of like purposefully withholds information until, you know, the gang gets back into the Batcave, I think it is. And, and Ben Affleck or somebody is like, ah, he's like, you know, provided some superheating. So this allows us to track, you know, like, the, the signature it, or whatever. Wasn't there a way for him to do that without murdering himself? Like, I feel like he could have just like put the box in that room and <laughs> stepped out. Like, I really don't think he needed to vaporize himself to do I, that. I honestly think it's just Zack Snyder did the same thing in Watchmen with the Dr. Manhattan character when he made that movie. And he just loves that visual and he just wanted uh, to do it again. That's yeah. That was the read that I had of that. But, um, but I, I think, you know, regardless of like how confused I was in that moment, I think that's where you sort of see the emotion uh, come over Ray Fisher's face. That was like the highlight of his performance to me was like, that realization and it, 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 he felt the most human to me in, in that moment. And I thought Joe Morton like sold it, you know, pretty well also. Um, but Joe yeah, I, I was great. He does so much with like nothing. Yeah. He has nothing to do here, but he's such a good actor that he really sells how like sad that character. Is. Yeah. I wanted to more about him. Give me, yeah. give me the Joe Morton cut. That's what I want. <laughs> the star labs cut. Yeah. Um, I, I do agree that this is probably one of the better additions to, to this is, is fleshing out cyborgs story. But at the same time, I feel like the story is very formulaic and we've, we've, we've seen this before in many different, uh, forms. Like it, it in it, it, as you said, there's moments that are just like, so on the nose and cheesy and bad and, uh, you know, Ray Fisher isn't uh, isn't that great of an actor. He gets to say "fuck the world" though, because yeah. this is a very serious movie for adults. Chris, yes. <laughs> fuck the world. Yeah. Whoa, cyborg, <laughs> dial it down a notch. And you know, another thing, and it's like I don't know. I I feel like this is intrinsic with what Zack Snyder was going with the design of the character. I just don't like the way the character looks. It just looks like bad CG to me. Mm. Yeah, there there whole. are a lot of shots especially of cyborg where it's like that does not look convincing at all like i just like i haven't watched doom patrol but i've seen images i'm sorry i don't know the actor's name but it's literally just an actor wearing like a faceplate, and that looks 
so much better than just like a cartoon man running around. But yeah, that's, that's what I think at least. Peter, Um, what did you think about Steppenwolf? Like, you know, he's another character who's fleshed out a little bit more, given a little bit more of a backstory in this version. What did you think about that, that character, both in the theatrical cut and, and in this version? You know, I got to admit, I have not seen the theatrical version since it came out in theaters or actually before it came out in theaters. It's an early screening of it. So, uh, in you know, when we get to the comparisons and stuff, I'm not sure I'm going to be the one to go to uh, because I, I only remember in vague uh, terms. And I know, Ben, you've revisited it right before you watched this. And you did, God. too, Chris, right? I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched like clips because I don't. I don't have. I don't have time. No, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> okay. The, the way Joss Whedon wanted you to watch yeah, it. That's just like... random clips on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but um, I don't know. I, I don't. Is there much more here? Like it just feels like so, he's just trying to like serve up this thing for Dark Side, which seemed like where. Snyder wanted the sequel, the Justice League right. Two, to go. He wanted you know he wanted basically you know the the guys to lose at the end of this movie and then the yeah, sequel he, was gonna be dark side yeah so steppenwolf first of all steppenwolf i think is just a terrible character in both versions um i never once believe he's like real like say what you will about um josh brolin's thanos in the mcu like the fact that they actually had josh brolin on set a lot you know doing the motion capture really helps make that character feel real and he has he sort of looks like josh brolin so it's like you kind of believe thanos is a real character there's never a single moment where i'm looking at steppenwolf and i'm like that's a real character like he just looks like he's got like this shitty armor it looks like a blender and the character's voice has been uh, like syrian hines is the actor and he's a great actor but they put so much like modulation over his voice where it just sounds like he's like eating every time he's talking (laughs) and the key difference here is and i do like this even though i don't like the character is they make seven wolf a lot more pathetic in this version like he's basically just like this friggin loser who's trying to impress his boss and he's constantly doing like zoom calls with (laughs) with the with the planet what is it it's called like apocalypse or something like that or Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever the planet is called and he's just like I'm trying. I'm trying really hard. Like, it's not really explained, but for whatever reason, like he's he's in in Dutch with Darkseid. Darkseid is not happy with Steppenwolf, so Steppenwolf needs to conquer Earth, and that'll that'll get him back in Darkseid's good graces. So he's constantly like calling home and being like, "I'm trying really hard. Give me, give me a break." <laughs> so I I did kind of like that they made him like this really lame loser guy but i still just don't care about the character but what what do you think of the villain's motivations because i feel like that's not really even that clear uh obviously it's he wants those mother boxes uh no i don't know i don't <laughs> the, the, the it's the villain's plans here are so weirdly vi- what, I, mean, what, I didn't even understand it so maybe one of you two could explain it to me so earth is a place where the anti- the anti-life the equation. equation. <laughs> mm. what, what what does that mean? Like, what, I have why no idea. He... I think it means that the omega symbol has been carved into the ground for some reason. <laughs> that's another thing that's like really unclear because at one point, Steppenwolf is like, "Oh my god, this is this is the planet you tried to conquer before." It's like, did they not remember that? Yeah, I that's. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't really just, get that. 
Did Darkseid forget to mention that like he had already been? Uh, it's, it's like, like Darkseid, my understanding was Darkseid has spent, you know, maybe ever since he lost that battle against the Atlanteans and the Amazonians and all these people, um, like scouring the galaxy, looking for this anti-life equation. And like, I, I, did, did he, he like, never... forgot? Yeah, did he like... Did he never know that the anti-life equation was on Earth and he fought a battle there once and was like, well, I obviously would have seen it if if it was there. So I don't have to worry about Earth anymore. And then Steppenwolf <laughs> realizes, oh, shit, this is the planet. And that's the big thing that's going to put him back in Darkseid's Dark uh, I mean, you know, good graces. I they know. showed Darkseid like get injured. Maybe that injury like ruined his memory or so. It's very <laughs> un like that whole part where they're just like, oh, this is the planet. I was like, how did you not? realize that like <laughs> this is the thing is like parts of this movie are so dumb and it's just people punching each other and then other parts are like is there something here that i'm just too stupid to understand like i don't know it it doesn't seem like it's fully explained in the movie it seems it's like really not dark side you know if if that's the thing he's been looking for for however millennia who knows however long and somebody found it you would think he would use one of those boom tubes to just like teleport there immediately and just start fucking shit up in the yeah. biggest way possible but he is like ready around. the armada we're gonna do this the old-fashioned way or something <laughs> and it's like so clearly just like we can't afford to have a huge battle in this movie we'll save it for the next movie like it's just so <laughs> transparent why um okay so there's this they show this big mythical battle from who knows Old, how long olden ago. days right. it's like prehistory yeah. times yeah. but on, honestly i like that the, the, that was awesome i like how they they kind of made it so that the atlanteans and the amazonians like yeah, we were all together as one and it like split up the planet and there's like a green lantern alien there flying around and mm -hmm. stuff yeah no all that was really cool but then after they win that battle why didn't they destroy the mother boxes yeah because they, they wouldn't have a movie peter they gotta keep it going they uh, maybe they couldn't destroy them. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I assume it's like the you know the ring, Lord of the Rings. You can't just destroy it. Although I do love that like they had this whole montage where everyone's like hiding their mother boxes and like humans just bury it. <laughs> like yeah, like, I wrote that as my note. I was like the Atlanteans like built this entire like fortress for it. The yeah, and the Amazons have like a, a pyramid, and it just cuts to the humans are just like eh. Just throw it in the ground. That'll yeah, be and then enough. it ends up in Cyborg's closet for some reason. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And I guess he reburies it in his mother's grave at one point. But, but then it's... he immediately, like, digs it up. It's yeah. like, what the fuck is going on? I don't understand. And, and the same thing happens in the theatrical cut where, like, you know, once Superman comes into the equation, way late in this movie, by the way, even still. I, I, I think thought... it's like two hours and a half, or if not two hours and 45 minutes into the yeah, movie or something. that was one of the big complaints that I had in the theatrical cut, and I was sure that this movie was going to give us at least, like, half, you know, half Superman, half whatever. Uh, and then when they, when they, like, revive Superman, they have the, the one thing that Steppenwolf and Darkseid care about which is the mother box and they use this thing to resurrect superman and it lands in a parking lot near the ship and nobody gives a shit about it like yeah, it lands they, on like a car hood yeah and they all just like there. all eyes on superman nobody cares and then friggin steppenwolf just like you know blips in grabs the thing and blips away and nobody reacts like nobody's like oh shit i can't believe we didn't 
you know, you weren't, weren't you supposed to be keeping an eye on it? I thought you were doing it. None of that. It was just like, well, yeah, there goes the, the one thing that he needed to be able to create the unity or whatever the hell. You have um, to synchronize the mother boxes yes. to get the uh, unity. Or by something. the way, who created these mother boxes? Dark side did, right? I guess. I think so. so. Why couldn't he just build more mother boxes? <sighs> yeah, that's a good question. He's they may have guy. said that in this. <laughs> He's got to sit around on his throne. He doesn't have time to build more mother boxes. By the way, I feel like this isn't nitpicks. Like, like I know sometimes when you go to the Marvel movies, like we no, can't this is like the about, main plot yeah. of the movie. This isn't a nitpick. This is like literally why anyone is doing anything yeah, that's in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I guess let's talk about Darkseid and how stupid he looks. Oh, God, who cares? I, <laughs> I know fans love Darkseid, but he seems so boring in this movie. He's just sitting around. And I know everyone was like, oh, shit granny goodness is in this movie and she's like in one shot she doesn't say anything like again this is all Zack snyder being like you know what's cool this stuff that's wait who granny goodness is uh kind of looks like elizabeth warren (laughs) is like hanging out with dark side on his planet and she's a she's a character from the comics but (sighs) they don't even like say her name probably because that would be really ridiculous if dark side was like granny goodness (laughs) fetch me my armada (laughs) Prepare my ship. I, I do feel like a lot of the stuff in this movie isn't. This isn't the Snyder cut. This isn't the movie that Zack Snyder would have. This isn't even. Uh, I was gonna say this isn't the movie that Warner Brothers would have released if he had finished it. This isn't even the ultimate uh, home video cut that would have been released. This is the cut where Snyder has had how many years since uh, Justice League? I think it came seventeen. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So three. Four, we can't again. do math here yeah. on the slash film yeah. but like he's had all these years I, i'm guaranteeing if you were like you know i, I know you guys don't like uh rise of skywalker i'm, I'm guaranteeing if you went to jj abrams and you're like jj you have 70 million dollars uh to create a you know director's cut of rise of skywalker go now that he has all the feedback of everybody right, right. and like he could make a, a cut that i think you guys would enjoy because you have it's hindsight Right. Like you have all the feedback of what everybody didn't like in Justice League. And then on top of that, y- you could just be like, oh, I'll, I'll just uh, throw in a Martian Manhunter here and I'll just throw in the granny goodness or whatever. whatever. Like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Martian Manhunter. Let's talk about Martian Manhunter. I mean, this is one of those moments that just uh, it worked for me less than almost anything else in this. Just like the yeah. that that moment where um, Martha Kent goes in and and has that conversation with Lois Lane, and then like leaves the apartment and then shapeshifts into Martian Manhunter, and oh, and he's so like bad. he's like you know get back to you know the world needs you, yeah, Lois, or whatever. To your said. office job, Lois Lane. Like, um, oh, it sucks so bad because that scene is good as is because Amy Adams, uh, Diane Lane, those are great actresses, put them in a scene together, let them have an emotional moment. It works. And then he, Zack Snyder immediately like trips over himself to be like, it was actually Martian Manhunter. It's like, how do you not realize that robs that scene of any real emotional impact? Cause like later Lois Lane is going to be like, Thanks for stopping by my apartment. <laughs> right. And, and Martha Kent's yeah. going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but also it doesn't give any uh, like new layer to that scene. That scene like was already emotional. And what, I mean, it was a scene that was written, right? Like this Martian Manhunter is a, is a reshoot, right? 
I don't sure even it is. know. I can't. I, I don't think it is. I think that's one of the things that that he you know he wanted to do at the time, but couldn't didn't have time right. to do or whatever. But yeah, just like shot uh, whatever that actor's name is, Henry Harry Lennox. Oh, Harry Lennox. Yes, and he's uh, a good actor, but ooh. This, this does not do him any. Yeah. Favors. And then at the very end of the movie, like the last thing, you know, after the nightmare scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about here shortly, um, <sighs> you know, when when Ben Affleck is in his lake house and then Martian Manhunter just like floats down and he's like, I'm the Martian Manhunter. <laughs> like, just like, Wait a second. OK, so well, actually, no, no, Ben, that's not what he does. <laughs> Superman asks him who he is and he's like, I go by many names and he doesn't tell him. And then at the end of the scene, before he flies away, he's like, I'm Martian Manhunter. There yeah. are, he's like, there are some who call me Martian man. It's like, okay. It's a real uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan moment yeah. where you're just like, is this supposed to mean anything to me as a normal viewer? And I understand. Or even that, like, like Batman. Batman is just like, okay. Right. Even, all right. All right. Thanks for stopping by. But and I feel then, like I already knew this because like, you know, when he turned into Martian Manhunter, when he was leaving, you know, I don't really follow DC, but I, I knew instantly who it was. And like, I reacted and Kitra was like, who is that? I was like, Martian Manhunter. She was like, who is that? <laughs> right. Yeah. And this movie like introduces him, but doesn't really do anything with the character. And it's clearly supposed to be a setup for, for more movies, but I don't know, man. It's like, what it's is just, what is Martian Manhunter up to this entire time? He's just like waiting around. Like they could really use your help. Martian Manhunter. <laughs> and I, d- I did yeah. not go back and rewatch man of steel, but I think the implication is that he's supposed to be that general that, right. that Harry Lennox, you know, yeah. played in that movie. And like, I, I don't know what that means for the larger, you know, DCEU that 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 guy actually was the Martian Manhunter the whole time. It's like, is he some supposed to be some sort of like course correcting figure who is just, you know, trying to, to what is his end game? Like, does he is he does he is he operating from some sort of higher plane of awareness where like he can see multiple time streams and knows that certain characters need to be in certain positions at certain times. I don't know. Like I Dr. just have a Strange, lot of questions. Yeah. 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 I don't well, know. There, there was a story that broke today. Uh, I'm not sure if one of you two wrote it up. It was about Zack Snyder saying how he almost quit justice league because he wanted green lantern to be in the end of this movie. Right. So originally the scene as written, it actually would make a lot more sense. If you think I about the guess. scene, because, because like oh he was out in outer space and he comes down and it's like yeah. the first contact like he's like you know let, let's team up as not just the world but as the galaxy like that mm. makes more sense Merge manhunter makes no sense whatsoever yeah and I, at least audiences would have had familiarity with green lantern because he got his own movie in 2011 so like that would be yeah people wouldn't be quite as confused as i'm guessing a lot of regular people might be when they tune into this although how many quote-unquote regular people are actually going to watch four hours of justice league i have no idea but yeah okay what what else we got here we got and by the way i want to i don't know i feel like i don't want to like be the buzzkill because i do feel like there's a lot of people that really did like this movie i'm looking at my twitter and even critics seem to like you guys I mean, I gave uh, a positive review, yeah. and I, I think we will get to. Okay, we'll we'll get we to like. we'll get to some this show. But... This episode is going to be longer than the actual Snyder cut at this point, but we're gonna yeah. get to. <laughs> so I want to apologize to anybody out there that is that loves this movie and is listening to this and is just like really fuming and angry. Here, here's like, what I can we, say: we, we didn't dislike the movie. It, it's just like we're we're going through it. There's there's no movie without flaws. I mean, there's no like there are very few perfect movies, and if you think. This is a perfect movie. You, whew, 
I don't know what to tell you. So we're, <laughs> we're, 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 I don't think we're being overly mean here. Like I think no, we're, certainly point, not. we're pointing out things that really don't work yeah. that well in this movie, but there are things that do work. And, uh, okay. Before we get to that, let's get to Superman. Yes. Cause that doesn't work at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will say this. I, I do think the world without Superman is established better in this movie than I remember it being established in Justice so here, League. Here, here's one of the things I want to say, and I know this is like controversial, but I do think, and I'm not defending Joss Whedon as a, as a person because by now we've all learned that he was just a, kind of a, a yeah. piece of shit, but I do think he understands Superman better than Zack Snyder, which is saying a lot since Zack Snyder made an entire Superman movie, but the stuff with Superman works i think a little bit better in the whedon cut like i know we will all laugh at that you know the cgi removing henry cavill's mustache and that does look bad but i i think whedon understands how to portray superman a bit better like i really you know as distracting as the cgi faces i really like that opening scene of the whedon cut where Mm -hmm. it's kids like with a cell phone interviewing superman and superman's doing his best to like answer their questions in a nice, honest way. And I feel like that one scene understands Superman better than anything that's going on in, in the Snyder cut. Cause it portrays him as this, you know, approachable guy, you know, and here he's like, I mean, you know, he's a, he's a murderous yeah. <laughs> alien who, uh, you know, puts on a cool black suit, which never explained. There's never a moment where they're like, why is Superman's suit black? He just puts it on because it looks cool. I have so, a question for you guys. Is that a reshoot? I don't want to say reshoot because. Uh, I think what happened was it was originally a black suit and then they color corrected it for the theatrical cut to make it blue. Oh, really? I think it's the other way around. I think oh, they, really? I think, I don't know. I, I feel like I read or, or had to write something about how he wanted it to be black, but the studio wanted it to be, you know, the normal colors. So they, they dressed him in the normal colored suit. And then for this cut, they just uh, color corrected it to be black and white or whatever. Because this is what I'm thinking when I'm watching this movie is like, he walks into a ship and then like behind him, all these, like (laughs) these, these clothing dresser drawers come out showing all the suits. And he goes up to the one with the black suit and like, you know, the light from the, the thing hits him. And then we see it's the black suit. Um, it, It just hit me while I'm watching this. I'm like, those dressers were just at th- that's a you know quote unquote reshoot a re-render like this dressers coming out in the background it doesn't seem like those were there initially <laughs> oh no it, it, it doesn't make sense that he's wearing the black suit i mean no it's 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 literally another example of him being like this looks cool and i get it it that's partially from the comics because Superman in the comics, he dies and he comes back and he has like a mullet. And, but, you know, comics don't need to explain that stuff. It's, yeah. it's different when it's it's on screen. But also, and I forget who said this. I think I liked it on Twitter. So I'm stealing this from someone who I can't even credit right now. But uh, they said just because something's in the comics doesn't make it better. Doesn't make it. <laughs> yes, you know absolutely. I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, Chris, I think you're right about about the Whedon cut of Superman because like even in the the big climactic action scene that, you know, in the theatrical cut it has like this Russian family that sort of feels like it's out of place and a little out of nowhere, right. but at least you get to see scenes of Superman like saving people and Yeah, that's your um, thing like the, the the Whedon cut, it takes time to show us normal people. Like 
the Snyder cut doesn't feel like a single real human being exists in this world. Yeah. But yeah, but, and uh, again, like Snyder, I think Snyder thinks Superman is cool. And I don't think Superman should be cool. Like I, I like that the Whedon cut makes him kind of like a nerd. And that's, that I think is really how Superman should be. He's, you know, he's the all American hero. He's like this nerdy guy who just happens to be a really strong alien. And that's not how Zack Snyder sees it. But even when he's fighting the bad guy in this movie, he like has this like really angry mean, like he's like, you know, in battle and like Superman should be smiling. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah, no. he I mean the the way that it, it seemed to me that in the in the Snyder cut, Superman is um is like somehow more powerful, like more of a uh God. like a yeah, like a Deus Ex Machina, like almost literally, where like he he is the final guy that comes in and just like starts wrecking shit in the in the you know, in, during that big final battle, like they almost had to take him off the board for so long because otherwise, I mean, it's, I guess it's a problem that, you know, we talked about with, with Captain Marvel. We've talked about with other Superman stories, like he's so overpowered that what are you going to do? Like you, you have to, you have to take him off the bo- the board or else there is no story or the story would be over in five minutes or whatever. So it just sort of felt, I, I felt that a little bit more in the, in the Snyder version, I think like the way that he comes back and, just immediately starts beating the shit out of Steppenwolf in a way that like these other superheroes, Aquaman, Wonder Woman could not, uh, they were struggling really, really hard. And I get that Superman is like the most powerful, you know, hero in the DC universe or whatever, but it just felt, um, well, I mean, I, let's just talk about that, that climactic action scene. Chris, what did you think about that, that part of the movie? Cause it's way different than the theatrical version. Uh, I, I liked most of it. I really liked the idea of, the way it plays out is, you know, they're trying to whatever stop the, what is it called? The synchronicity, the singularity. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to they're trying to stop the mother box from doing a thing, and they like fail because the the flash gets like shot with a laser and he falls down. And part of the plan involves the lat the flash run around and charging up electricity. But the Flash is so powerful and so fast, and I know this is you know a ripoff of the, the Richard Donner Superman, but whatever. He he runs fast enough to make you know time reverse itself, and you know as long as you don't focus too much on the logic and the logistics of that, I really think that's neat, and I really like the way they showed that where there's literally like a shot of like Superman's like skeleton or something, and then like the flesh comes back on his body. And I was like, oh, this is fucking cool. So. I don't know if I, you know, I think it's a little too long. Like it goes on forever, this Mm -hmm. big final fight. And there's stuff that like, I, I really do not like, even though he's evil, I don't like the idea of Wonder Woman cutting off heads. (laughs) And uh, Wonder Woman is another character. I feel like Zack Snyder does not understand because her. Yeah, talk about Wonder Woman. Her her introduction to this movie is her literally blowing a man up. And, you know, you could argue and be like, well, that guy was a terrorist and he was evil, but I feel like Wonder Woman should be above that. Wonder Woman should not be be straight up murdering dudes, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I in front of children. Yeah, and and then like it's so, that whole sequence is so fucking weird because she blows up a guy, and then a little girl is like, "Can I be like you when I grow up?" And it's like, "What the fuck is going?" Like, is, does she want to grow up and blow 
people up? Is that what's happening here? The, so. the, the weird thing is I see this discussion online. I see people in my Twitter feed being retweeted, and I, I've even seen articles from big movie websites being like, yeah, Wonder Woman's been dis- like restored to her natural like Amazonian warrior. Like, this is a good thing. No. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's not. You know, I don't like Wonder Woman 1984. That movie was a mess. But the first Wonder Woman movie, Patty Jenkins really understands that character in ways that Zack Snyder clearly does not. And uh, I, I feel like I'm, I've gotten us way off topic and I'm sorry yeah. about this. Take it, take it back, Ben. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you're right. I think, I guess the, the, you know, devil's advocate to step into a, a position that Peter always takes is that like, you know, th- there's more than there's enough room for multiple interpretations of the character. I just don't like these these interpretations of these characters and i i I think a lot of people do and that's just like a straight up difference of opinion there's not really you know when we've sort of reached an impasse when it comes to that there's not really much you can you know either side can do to like talk the other side into understanding why this doesn't work or this does work I, i would love to hear like legitimate arguments for why this version of wonder woman is better than the wonder woman that we saw in the 2017 movie um just to understand like where people are coming from with that mentality, because I, I don't understand it because I also think that, that, you know, that, that iteration of the character is, um, you know, makes a lot more sense to me as a, you know, dramatically narratively, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, the terrorist must be killed. Then is what the no, yeah, but uh, I, I've been a Zack Snyder defender for many, many years. I actually really like Man of Steel, and I know at the end of that movie, that you know, spoilers for Man of Steel, there's this moment where he ends up killing and snapping the the neck of the the villain in that movie, and a lot of people had a problem with that. And I, uh, you know, yes, that's not the Superman from the comics. I I, I get that, and I, I I go with it. I I think like this is a good like a different take. And this is also his, the first time that he's like kind of stepped up and like been part, you know, in like, you know, tried to do something on a big scale before in that movie. And I was like, Oh, this is a learning situation. Like this is his first like battle, his first real big battle. And like, of course he's going to make mistakes along the way. And like, that's, that's how you, you become a person. But my defense of that clearly is wrong because clearly that's not what it was clearly right. Zack Snyder wants Superman to snap next and I don't I don't like that yeah yeah, yeah I so. agree um, uh, let's talk about uh let's get, let's get positive here because <laughs> I I really think and I, I don't know if I'm in the minority here but I really think Ezra Miller is like the only actor in this movie in any version of the movie the the Whedon cut or this cut who's like enjoying himself and like having fun with the role. Like I really like Ben Affleck. I think Ben Affleck in theory is a good Batman, but he seems really like stiff and wooden in this movie. Whereas Ezra Miller is, is having fun. He understands that the flash is kind of a silly character and he gets to have fun with it. He gets to, you know, play up the fact that the character is like constantly on the move. And he's introduced in this movie with this, this incredibly silly scene that I, I honestly, it, it's my favorite scene in the entire movie. And it's the part where he's applying for a job at like a pet store and a car accident happens outside the window. Like there's a truck and uh, the character is supposed to be Iris West played by Kirsten Clemens, although they never even say her name in the movie. So does she like, have a line of dialogue? In that she's scene? like, there's a part where she's like mumbling to herself while she's starting her car, but she doesn't really like, have a, anything to say and you know, was she supposed to have a bigger role 
if there, uh, that's what like the, it was reported, but you know, uh, an earlier report said that like, even before Snyder stepped away from this, he ended up cutting her scenes for time. So I really don't think she had that big of a role to begin with, but she is going to be in the standalone flash movie. So she will finally have more to do. But in this scene, you know, she's about to get killed in the car accident and the flash rushes out to save her. And like all action scenes in Zack Snyder movies, it's done in very, very slow motion, maybe slower than normal because, you know, it's playing up the fact that the slash move, the slash, the flash moves <laughs> quicker than the speed of light. So he needs to be slowed down so we can see him. And it plays out with this song called Song to the Siren uh, playing. It's a cover of that song. And that song is like this beautiful, poetic song about love and loss. And it doesn't fit with what we're seeing at all, but it's so earnest. It's so earnestly done where this this beautiful song is playing and the Flash is very, very slowly saving this woman. And he takes time because like a hot dog cart gets hit. So he takes time to reach out and grab a CGI hot dog so he can give it to the dogs back in the pet shop. And (laughs) it's so fucking silly, but I loved it so much because it feels like the only scene in this movie where Zack Snyder is being like, you know what? This is an inherently silly movie. This is a movie about (laughs) superheroes trying to gather up mother boxes. And it's okay to have a scene where things are just incredibly goofy and unrealistic and just charming in a way that no other scene in this movie is like, I, I I'd argue like every other action scene in this movie is played to be like, look at how fucking cool this is. And I don't get that <laughs> from this scene. I get like, look at how, how kind of silly this is. This man is grabbing CGI hot dogs. And that's why I love this scene so much because I, I feel like if the movie had more scenes like this, not, you know, I don't mean literally. Well, I think like, that's what the WB hot dogs, but I was going to say that. I think that's what the WB executives thought. And they hired Joss Whedon and, and that, that they added some more silliness. And I, I actually like the silliness. And it actually, to me, I think I like Flash less in this movie. He's a lot less the, f- the funny in this one. Yeah. Oh, he's a lot less fun. Okay. I didn't even know. Yeah, the, I, the, I haven't Whedon, compared them. The Whedon cut gives him a lot more joke. Like there's a, there's a joke about, and I really like this because I, I love Pet Cemetery, but there's a joke about Pet Cemetery in the Whedon cut that is not in this one. And I, I really missed that joke in here because I love Pet Cemetery. Yeah, but, there's some we were gonna talk later about like things that work better in each version. We've sort of oh, yeah. been talking about it along the way. Um so I don't, I don't know how hard we need to hit that point when we get to it later. But I, yeah. I think the the flash in this version works a lot better because they cut some of that humor back. It was like way too much in the the Whedon cut. Like there's this part where he uh makes this he's talking to Batman and he's like I'm socially awkward. Like, I don't know how to talk to people. Like, what is brunch? There's this whole thing with brunch. It's like you stand in an hour, you stand in line for an hour to, to like have lunch, basically. Like, what's the deal with brunch? And like, yeah, it's like it's, he's working on his like, he's working on his 15 for the chuckle hut. Yeah. It's so uh, prolonged and painful. And they cut all of that out in this one. And he just has like, quote unquote normal quips like a what i think a normal amount of quips should be for this character instead of just being mm-hmm. a quip mis- machine um and I, I know that like uh ezra miller has like off-screen you know issues that we you know we're we're aware of that um but yeah. I, I think he works better in this cut of the movie than than in the theatrical version see i i don't know for me i and this is my theory so let, let me know what you guys think but like for me i didn't think the flash worked as well not because you know the jokes were cut down i'm fine with you know 
<laughs> the brunch joke going into the trash. But because like it was bookended in every turn by such like seriousness and nihilistic and dark and like it just like felt so out of place in this movie for me like whenever there was a joke where like before kind of like eased into them Mm. a little bit more i could see that i feel Uh, like the only i think for reasons i don't understand ezra miller is the only one in this movie who seems like he understands comedic timing so i think that helps like there's a part where they're digging up superman's grave and like him and uh cyborg are having a conversation and they're talking about how hot wonder woman is or whatever and i don't think the lines are particularly funny but ezra miller knows how to sell them and ray fisher is just sort of just like talking and it's like none of these people understand there's like a certain rhythm to comedic dialogue and Mm -hmm. i feel like that that hurts things a lot you know, I, I this here's an aside. And I'm not sure what this says about anything, but I visited the set of Justice League when when Zack Snyder was directing it, and he showed us the scene with Flash. It was the scene where Batman is in his secret Flash lair, and he walks in, and it, it plays basically the same as what it plays in this movie, aside from the new weird score that they put underneath it that I feel like undercuts some of the comedy. Um, the and in that scene. Flash says that uh, the person on the video is just a young Jewish boy. And I remember on set visit, we, uh, after the set visit, uh, one of the journalists that was on the set visit asked, um, we were able to send in questions to Zach to get further clarification. And one of the journalists sent in a question being like, so are you changing Flash's, um, you know, his ethnicity and his origins to him being a Jewish person and um the the reply we got back was oh this is an early cut of this uh that that was a joke that uh, ezra made on set it's not going to be in the final film because he's obviously not jewish whatever so it, I, the fact that it was like in this cut and in the cut that he showed us in the th- film and like he didn't even know if the flash is Jew- i don't know <laughs> it, it, it just seems like it's such a not thinking about things Hmm. Not that it matters. Are you implying Zack Snyder doesn't know what he's doing, Peter? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even implying it matters if Flash is Jewish or not, but it's just the fact that, like, he didn't even think about it when he showed us that first cut. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Well, speaking of Zack Snyder not knowing what he's doing, let's talk about the nightmare (laughs) sequence, guys. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta wrap this thing up. We gotta talk about this. Yeah, so, okay. uh, go, go what ahead, the man. fuck was going on? This, this is thing? this is hands down. Like I don't, and anytime I say like I make a ultimatum like this, you know, you could couch it with like arguably, but I I think without question this is the worst scene in the entire movie, and it hurts the movie. Like if this weren't in the film, I would probably have like bumped my review score up at least like a number. It's 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 a catechismically <laughs> catastrophically bad scene. Can, can you explain to me? What what is going on here? What is this universe? Do you what want to is, do it, Ben? You want to take because it? Because I, sure. I I I don't not I honestly I'm not playing this up. This is not Devil's Advocate. This isn't Peter acting dumb. I don't understand what the nightmare verse is. 
Yeah, so uh, the the nightmare uh, verse is what happens when Darkseid does eventually come to Earth and he uh, gets the anti-life equation and he uses it on Superman. And from what I've been able to glean through, you know, Wikipedia posts, not because the movie actually explains this, the anti-life equation allows Darkseid to essentially control the minds of whoever is like, you know, under his spell, basically. So he does it to... Also, at some point, Lois Lane gets killed in this equation, right. too. So he, he does it to Superman, who is, like, you know, bereaved because of the loss of Lois, who, like, he basically entrusted Lois Lane into Batman's protection. Batman, in a, in a scene that we have not seen depicted yet and now likely will never see, uh, somehow let Lois die. Because as you might remember from Batman versus Superman, Flash like time travels backwards and says Lois Lane is the key to like this whole thing, right? And like so that's where we saw that original nightmare scene with him with Batman like walking around in the duster and that whole get up. Um, so what we're seeing is like Bruce Wayne like uh, you know having these visions of like what the world is going to be like when Darkseid is taking over and like. So basically, you know, this so, movie, so his, his dream, his nightmare is him seeing the future. Yeah. It's yes. like a premonition. Basically. Yeah. So this movie like essentially ends, like it, it comes to a, a conclusion that seems like, you know, pretty okay. Wow. Zack Snyder's actually maybe going to stick the landing here. And, and then I'd argue there's a great final shot. And it's that shot where Superman runs into an alley, pulls open his shirt and you see the, the symbol. It's like a classic iconic Superman image. And that is literally what the last shot should be. Yeah, and then it smash cuts to this post-apocalyptic future with no, like, uh, you know, context or anything for what's going on. And, like, we'd seen previously, I think, when when Cyborg was uh, interacting with the the Kryptonian ship, he got a little blip of uh, a little vision of, yeah, part of this future as well where you see, you know, Wonder Woman is dead. Aquaman is dead. uh, You know, a lot of the, the big name players are dead. Basically, it just comes down to the people who show up in this nightmare sequence, which are uh ezra miller's flash looking really really weird uh i got like fake facial hair on and stuff yeah at first i didn't even think that was him but chris assured me that it was and evidently he was shooting fantastic beast 3 at the time of production so he was like directed by snyder over zoom or something against a green screen in london or wherever the hell and then uh, you've got Joe Manganiello, who is uh, is Deathstroke, who's got like a different haircut this time. The the scene between Deathstroke and Lex Luthor on the boat was slightly different. They didn't tease the Injustice League like they did in the in the theatrical cut of this movie. Um, and and in fact, they actually set up what was going to be the Deathstroke solo film, where he uh, like goes after Batman. Uh, because Lex, Lex Luthor gives him the identity of of Bruce Wayne. So like the implication is. Right after that, there's going to be a Deathstroke movie where Deathstroke and Batman are clashing. But then we fast forward all the way into this nightmare scenario where those two are actually on the same team because of survival reasons. And then you've got Jared Leto's Joker who's there. You've got Ray Fisher's Cyborg. And then it's uh, it's Mira, right? Um, Amber yeah, Heard. Amber Heard doing a terrible accent. Oh, my God. So all of them, and then of course Bruce Wayne's Batman. So they're all just like on the edge of this of this you know city or whatever, where Darkseid I guess is like holding court, and then Superman yeah, it's like, shows it's like up. Mad Max, basically. Yeah, um, Superman shows up right at the very end, um, 
and and like that's when Bruce Wayne wakes up and you realize this whole thing was actually just a dream, like part of that premonition thing again. And then the, we get into the Martian Manhunter scene at the very, but very first, end. But, but first we get uh, 45 minutes of Batman and the Joker talking to each other. And, and Batman, you know, dropping the F-bomb to him. Yeah, of Batman says, I'm going to fucking kill you. And look, uh, Jared Leto annoys me, but I do think Jared Leto can be a good actor in certain segments. I think he's delivered good performances in the past. Uh, his, his Joker is, is uh, atrocious. Um, if, if you thought he was bad in suicide squad, you, you ain't seen nothing yet because Holy shit. His, his, <laughs> his role here. And it's worth noting that this is like the, one of the only new things that was shot. And this was another thing that I think it was shot via Zoom or whatever. Or Wait, no, I- I- explain this to me, Chris. Like, okay, so you're given a lot of money to <laughs> to do reshoots. I mean, a lot of the money went into post production and visual effects right. and stuff like that. So it didn't go into these reshoots. But you were given some money to do reshoots, and you don't use that money to like flesh out the story and the characters of this movie. But you do it in an epilogue to set up a sequel that probably will never happen. You know, I got to respect Zack Snyder for that. Cause that is a baller move. He could have done something logical and he was like, no, I'm going <laughs> to stubbornly set up a sequel that will never happen. I think the entire reason was because he, because Ben Affleck's Batman and Jared Leto's Joker never interacted. I think he said like, that was the entire reason. And he sort of like reverse created this nightmare I, sequence just so that interaction I, could happen. I don't buy that. I, I think what, what Snyder was doing here is he was hoping that this whole, Snyder cut would take off in such a big way that HBO Max would want to a restore sequel. the Snyderverse, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, but well, I don't think they're ever going to so- restore the Snyderverse, but I no. think he painted himself into a small corner where he would be able to play with characters that like aren't in the big scheme like you know what i mean he doesn't have aquaman mm-hmm. there he doesn't have wonder woman like he has the, he has the figures that no one else wanted to play with and you know because they've already replaced batman so, and they're not going to use this joker and hopefully maybe if enough people wanted it maybe he could make this nightmare verse movie that's a good theory and i hope they never fucking make that because i do not <laughs> want to see that and it's yeah, the, it's the like scene, the most miserable part of the whole movie. It, it like robs the film of its momentum because, like I said, that that final shot of Superman, like that, ends the movie on like a hopeful note. And I know Zack Snyder likes things dark and gritty, but it's okay to have that movie. It, it's okay to end Justice League on an upbeat note. You don't need to set up this fucking post-apocalyptic landscape where the Joker is talking about giving Batman a reach around and he's, <laughs> and they're just like, like bickering at each other for, I, I, I should really go back and time it, but I swear to God, it really feels like this conversation goes on for like at least like 20 minutes where it's just Batman and the Joker just like shit talking each other. And no one, no one fucking needs that. It's so, it doesn't feel like Batman or the Joker. Like as, as you know, the characters, it just feels like two miserable guys arguing with each other and they just happen to be dressed like Batman and the Joker. And I just, it's like, it's so annoying because I, like I said, you know, it doesn't sound like it after the show, but I do like, like a lot of this movie. (laughs) And if this scene weren't in there, I would like it a lot more or even just like make this a literal post credit scene. Like if this had to, like if they had ended the movie, ran a bunch of credits and then shown this, I could maybe accept it because I could just be like, well, you know, I have this thing where post-credit scenes don't really count in my mind. If they counted, they wouldn't be post-credit scenes. They'd be part of the actual movie. So 
if this had been a legitimate post credit scene, I could be like, all right, that was stupid, but I don't need to, you know, accept Take it, it as seriously. Right. But by putting it in the movie and as the actual ending of the movie, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? How, how, you know, I, I know this is Zack Snyder's vision. I know this is his baby, but I refuse to believe there wasn't at least one person who was like, this is bad. We don't need, we don't need this in the movie. It's just, it's so strange. I'm really wondering how much oversight there was from Warner brothers or HBO max in how he spent this money for reshoots, because it really doesn't seem like he handed over a script and someone approved this. Yeah. I think they were willing to just like, let him do whatever he wanted because I think, I don't, I don't know. I guess let's get into that question. Like Peter, do you want to see more? Like if, if, HBO Max. I mean, I think we just wrote an article that that is probably published by now at slashfilm.com where like I think Ann Sarnoff, who's the the head, one of the heads of uh, Warner Media, was like, "Yeah, this you know this is basically the end of the line for for Zack Snyder and, and DC. Like you know we've released the Snyder cut and that's about it. So that that's sort of like she said that in so many words. Um, I mean, she like literally said it's it's not. She doesn't even like dance around it. She literally says this is the end of Zack Snyder's trilogy. The trilogy being. Uh, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and now this, and that's it. There's, there's no more. Yeah, so, but it, it's it's the start of the Nightmareverse right. trilogy, is what the fans are. Yeah, like, do you do you? What do you think, Peter? Like, what do you think the likelihood <sighs> is that you know, like you said, you know, you don't have to pay Jason Momoa, you don't have to pay pay Gal Gadot because those characters are dead. So if he were to do something that just picked up in this Nightmareverse, and considering also DC is. You know, with the Flash movie, they're like leaning heavily into the multiverse thing. And like you could there could be a way for you to explain how this storyline continues. Do you think that Snyder is is going to like or not? Not that Snyder would be interested because it's clear that he's interested in, in you know, continuing. This oh, if you ask him in, in interviews, he's like, no, I, I just put that I in know. there. I know he says that, but it seems pretty obvious that he <laughs> wants to do it. Uh, but do you think that Warner is actually going to give him, you know, let's call it whatever, 30 to 50 million dollars for like an HBO Max TV show, like a six episode run or something exploring this where it's not like a huge money commitment for them in the same way that, you know, a $300 million budget would be. What do you think? Well, I think you need more money than that. I don't think you can make it for that little, but like how much does a Game of Thrones episode cost? I think it was like 15 million or something at, at one point. I think you could do a six episode series, $15 million an episode, but like, is this as big as Game of Thrones now? I, I, I guess that the bottom line answer is that any company will do whatever, as long as it benefits them financially. And if, if they see that enough fans are subscribing to HBO max to warrant them spending that money, then yes, but I don't know. Also, Anne is making the, you said in their Slack channel, Anne's making this, you know, on an, in an interview on Sunday, she's seen the numbers. She knows mm-hmm. how many people have subscribed and she's making those claims that seem very finite. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I didn't think they were going to make the Snyder cut. I didn't think we would get the release of the Snyder cut. And, and uh, if you go back in history, you know, I tweeted, I think like a week before it was announced, I was like, I was wrong. Like, I, you know, I, I had heard from sources like so it, it is possible. Anything's possible. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I know Michael Moore, the documentary filmmaker, you know, who's gotten 
big companies to release his films that don't agree with necessarily what he, he's uh, saying. He has said time and time again that like you know a big corporation will will cut off their own tail if it if they think they can make money off it. Like you know, there's no mm-hmm. there's there's no nothing to it. So so I, I think the question is, what can can it make? Um, ninety million dollars. I think it needs to make at least ninety or a hundred million dollars for them to do like a six episode series. What What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, like you said, you know, there, there's always the possibility. I just think, um, I, I wonder how much fans care about, you know, if if he were to pick up that story, um, that is a very small percentage of what happens in this movie, and like you know, the character dynamics and the team dynamics are totally different. So I, I don't know if it's fair to say that like everybody who is excited about the Snyder cut would also be excited to continue watching stuff set specifically in that nightmare verse. But I'm, I'm curious what our listeners think about this too. Like if, if you're a fan of this, this movie, or if you really love that thing, like, would you, would you be interested in watching a six episode thing? Like send us an email and let us know. Cause I, I, I want to like sort of take the temperature of the the fandom on this because I don't also, really think please, people are talking about that. Please be nice in the email. We're legitimately asking you not to tell us like you're an asshole for <laughs> <Yeah>. not wanting. <laughs> the other interesting thing is that whole flashback. You mentioned that fla- or not flashback, uh, uh, flash going back in time and talking to Bruce Wayne and telling mm-hmm. him that um, Lois is the key. I know at some point that was a big part of the flashpoint movie that they were going to make the, the, the flash movie, uh, which I'm sure if anybody has read the comic book flashpoint, they could they could probably piece together how that would fit into that whole equation. So do you think they're going to ever use that in the Flash movie or whatever they're doing with Flashpoint? Or do you think like that's now written off in the Snyder Cut? They never have to explain that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think that they're going to. That... Well, so here here's the real answer. So continuity wise, the Snyder Cut doesn't actually count with what's going on in the Warner Brothers DC movies, Mm -hmm. the theatrical version of Justice League does. And the theatrical version actually uh, comes up with a workaround to explain the Lois Lane thing, because I don't know if you guys remember this, Ben, because he recently watched it, but in the theatrical cut, when Superman comes back from the life and he's, you know, he's fucking crazy and killing, he wants to kill people. Batman's like, look, I have Lois Lane right here. And her being there is what calms him down. And that sort of happens in the Snyder cut, but her being there is like a, a fucking coincidence. She just happens to be at the mm-hmm. spot where, and so Joss Whedon, you know, for again, not defending him, he's, he's got his problems, but he actually came up with, I would say an acceptable answer in that Lois Lane is the key quote unquote to stopping Superman from going yeah. crazy and killing everyone. So in theory, they actually have already answered this question. So they don't need to actually answer it. Right. Yeah. The theory. Uh, I see. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, can we talk about how big Batman's tank is? <laughs> <laughs> His tank that it just shows up at the end. Yeah. But he also has that, that it's, I guess it's called like the Nightcrawler and it looks like a spider. That was a cool uh, thing. That's fine. There's Look, what do we like about this movie? Because I feel like we did spend a lot of time talking about the negatives and there are a lot, but yeah. I you know besides that flash thing, I, I love a lot of like little weird details about this. I really like even though I don't care about dark side, I really like that ancient battle. Cause it literally looks like something from Lord of the Rings where there's like gods shooting lightning out of their hands. And mm-hmm. you know, I love stuff like that. And even though it it's, it's like, it has nothing to do with anything. I really like little moments like where 
Aquaman just walks into the sea and all these Icelandic women start yeah. singing. Like as weird as that is, <laughs> I really like that it's there because it it goes a long way to making this world feel like lived in. Like oh, there's these you know these Icelandic women who probably worship Aquaman as a mm-hmm. god, and when he returns to the sea, they they sing a sad song because it's like oh, the, our god is leaving us, and you know stuff like that. I really dig stuff like that. And that's the kind of stuff that you don't really have time for in a lot of modern day superhero movies. It's all, you know, everything's like rushing to get to somewhere else. And even though, again, I don't think this movie needs to be four hours long. I do appreciate that it is able to have those little weird moments like that. Cause those moments add up and they make the film stand apart from everything else out there. And I honestly think that's the biggest positive about this film that it doesn't really feel like any other superhero movie right now, even it doesn't even feel like, you know, Batman be Superman. It feels like its own thing. It feels like this big sprawling fantasy epic. And even though I think the Marvel movies are better, they don't, they don't feel like that to me. They feel very much like, you know, formulaic superhero movies. So Mm. I I really appreciate that this feels different. And that's, that's really all I'm looking for these days because there are so many superhero movies if you're going to make a new one, do something different with it. And I really appreciate it that this film does that. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I love that Iceland stuff too. I think that that all of that, um, everything in that setting plays better in the Snyder cut than it does in the theatrical cut for me. Um, the very beginning of the theatrical cut has the scene where Batman is on a roof and he is like, uh, I think he's like, tracking down a thug and using him as a bait to capture a parademon and the parademon explodes into the wall and leaves three boxes behind in like blood or something and batman's like ah these three this symbol (laughs) these three boxes they keep showing up all across my detective work i wonder what this is and all of that is just such bullshit and so terrible and this movie very wisely just cuts all of that out and i was very thankful that i didn't have to watch that again and in this do do we know that that's a a joss whedon thing yeah i mean not the uh obviously the boxes on the wall is but like the the scene that precedes that yeah yeah, because yeah, Joss Whedon, yeah. this is a thing that's not in the, the Snyder Cut. Joss Whedon actually gives like the parademons, I don't want to call it an arc, but they have this thing where like they sense fear. Mm-hmm. That's actually how Steppenwolf dies at the end because he he's suddenly afraid that Superman is there and the parademons are like, oh, this guy's, yeah. it's basically like the end of the Lion King where the hyenas <laughs> yeah. turn on Scar. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, the the downside though is that this movie opens basically with Bruce Wayne just like you know uh, traversing the Icelandic mountains and just going down into that uh, village or whatever. So you're kind of left a little bit like, okay, how much time exactly has passed from Superman's death versus where we are now? And in the theatrical cut, I think it makes it clear that like at least two years has gone by. And in this movie, it's not that long. Um, I think it's only a few months. And you see that one, there's that one moment where you see uh, Lois Lane's pregnancy test in her drawer. Um, And that was like supposed to be a setup for like two movies down the road when Lois and and Clark's kid was going to become the new Batman, which is a whole crazy thing that you can read about at SlashFilm.com if you want to know about that. Um, so I, I just, I wasn't quite sure exactly what the deal is with the time there, but I wanted to call that out as, as a, a huge positive that they cut out that stupid parademon on the roof scene. 
no, I I think I admire the scope and the scale and what they're going with uh, the whole you know making this almost a Lord of the Rings style superhero film. But I don't know. I, I think I admire this film more on the scale of like oh it's it's so interesting to see a different take on the same you know footage in from a different filmmaker and what what they were able to carve together with an unfinished you know Zack Snyder was not finished with this movie so he was able to somehow finish his vision with you know using CG using doesn't seem like he reshot much mm-hmm. so I don't know it, it, I, I want to read a book I want to read a book about this whole all the behind the scenes stuff and how everything that happened. I don't think we're going to get it. Not for, you know, 10, 20 to, years to be clear. There is a book out about the center cut, but and, it's from the fan perspective. Yeah. No offense to the author or anything like that. It's it, the book is fine for what it is, but that book is very much. It, it's pro- about the movement. Yeah. It's, it's more about how the fans made this happen. And that's a story worth telling, but what Peter is saying and what I would love to is like a really gossipy nitty gritty behind the scenes book that literally lays out all the the crazy shit that happened because whatever you think you know about this production i guarantee you listener there's there's stuff you don't know that went on behind this the scenes of this film yeah that is actually a really good place to end but i also just remember that willem dafoe is in this movie and i wanted to call that out as a positive too i loved seeing long-haired <laughs> willem dafoe rise from the waters and uh and talk in an air bubble with people and not to get not to harp on the negative stuff too but like that's that the that's a perfect example of why i'm glad they're moving on from snyder's verse because when you compare snyder's take on aquaman to james wan's it's so different and in a bad way like Zack snyder he came up with this idea where it's like i can't have characters just talking underwater so every time characters are in Atlantis, they summon up these air bubbles to talk in. And James Wan is like, who fucking cares? Just let them talk underwater. And that, that works so much better than having to have the everything stop. So characters can jump inside a bubble and have a conversation. And I feel like that's, that's the perfect example. Like I I'd rather have the James Wan version. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's been reported that Snyder left this project because uh, he was mourning over the death of his daughter who had committed suicide. There, There is a moment in this film where Flash and Bruce Wayne drive off in the car and they go by this billboard that's a billboard for the AFSP and it says, you are not alone. So I thought that was a, a good tribute, I guess. Yeah, and at the very end, after everything ends, uh, it, it says for Autumn and that was Zack Snyder's daughter. And that got, made me like really emotional just seeing that big on the screen it's like oh wow that's like he he fucking did this you know i i have some problems with Zack snyder fans some of them not all of them but he seems like a good guy and i'm glad he got to do this i'm glad he it's like i hope it you know yeah (laughs) i hope it made him feel better to fucking get to do this yeah, I'm right there with you. And and the reason that, you know, a lot of fans, I think, uh, or maybe not fans, but a lot of critics or, or people um, sort of like poke fun at, at Zack Snyder for using the song uh, Hallelujah a lot. But that was his daughter's favorite song. And that song appears in the in the credits uh, of this movie as well. Um, so that's another sort of like nice little touching thing. But yeah, I'm right there with you, Chris. I think that this is like, you know, it, it's really a, a nice thing. It, I mean, we can completely separate the uh, like whether or not 
a, a massive corporation should have given in to like a fan campaign on this scale. Um, but, you know, putting all of that aside, just the idea that like Snyder may have been able to um, use this to sort of like bring some sort of closure to his family or like this chapter of his life. Um, I think, you know, that's that's hopefully good for him on a personal level. And it's good for us in that we have this really weird, like totally unique uh, you know, piece of history to like look at and and study and and just um you know examine and admire from all different corners and like you know we we've never really had anything like this before so I'm I'm glad that this exists even though there are many many aspects of it that I was not a huge fan of but um yeah I think I think I hope that this podcast episode didn't come off as just like only a list of uh, of complaints <laughs> that we have because I think there is a lot of um yeah like good to interesting stuff here um but I, I just think. Uh, I'm, yeah. I, I'm glad the Snyder cut exists. And I, and I feel like that is the biggest compliment I can pay it because before I didn't want it, yeah, point. before I was like, I, we don't need this. We do not need <laughs> the yeah. Zack Snyder cut. And I completely changed my tune there. And I'm, I'm glad this movie exists for, for all its flaws. I'm, I'm glad we got to see it. Okay. So I guess the big question to leave off this episode Zack Snyder this weekend tweeted out that Zack Snyder's Justice League Justice is Gray is coming soon to HBO Max. This is the black and white version. Are you guys, are we all going to reconvene to watch <laughs> the black and white version of this movie? Because maybe that will change everything. Man, I, I, I doubt I'm going to watch the whole four hours, but I might like fast forward through it just to see how <laughs> some scenes play out. I don't think it needs to be in black and white if that's what you're asking, but... I, I might watch like a scene or two just to see how it looks, but that's that's probably the most I would do. It seems so odd because the the whole reason for this is because for the last few years, Zack Snyder has been staring at this movie in black and white because he didn't have a color corrected version of his scenes. So like it, the colors are all out of whack. So he watches it on a monitor in black and white. So he's gotten so used to watching it in black and white, he kind of fell in love with it watching it like what i don't know this doesn't sound like the art like honoring the art, artist's vision you know, know people love black and white stuff peter so uh, <laughs> sure go for uh, it put it on hbo max let let people yeah. uh watch this as many times as they want yeah okay uh you can find more of all of work slash on the com you can find this podcast on itunes google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send your feedback questions comments concerns and not uh, angry emails because we will just delete those uh, to peter at slash film.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>